footsteps behind you as you enter the woods. Night draws back its cape. Light illumines your path. Open your eyes. Listen. Welcome to Dark Softly Tales. Dark stories for dark hearts. I'm Mav Sky. Good evening and welcome to your nightmares, where we like to keep things dark and dreamy here at Dark Softly Tales. I'm your host, Mav, and tonight we have come to the conclusion of The Little Mermaid by Hans Christian Andersen. Tonight's opening will be short and sweet once more. However, next week we will have a conversation about Hans Christian Andersen and this story. And I'll also read a flash that is a playful and dark spin off of The Little Mermaid, combined with Merlin the Wizard. I know you can't wait. Also, I just wanted to ask that if you could rate and review the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever app you happen to be listening on, that would be a tremendous help. Now, let's sink into the frothy depths and see what Hans Christian Andersen picks up for the ending of The Little Mermaid. Take my hand and hang on tight as we journey into the dark softly. was not yet up when she saw the prince's palace and clambered up the stately marble steps. The moon was shining beautifully bright, and the little mermaid swallowed the sharp burning drink, and it was as though a two-edged sword was piercing her delicate body. She swooned with the pain and lay as one dead. When the sun shone out over the sea, She awoke and felt a torturing pang, but right in front of her stood the beautiful young prince. He fixed his coal-black eyes on her so that she cast her own eyes down and saw that her fish's tail was gone and that she now had the prettiest small white legs that any young girl could have. But she was quite naked so she wrapped herself in her masses of long hair. The prince asked who she was and how she had come there, and she gazed at him sweetly and yet sadly with her dark blue eyes, for she could not speak. Then he took her by the hand and led her into the palace. Every step she took was, as the witch had warned her, as if she was treading on pointed swords and sharp knives Yet she bore it gladly. Led by the prince's hand, she walked light as a bubble, and he and everyone else marveled at her graceful, floating gait. Costly robes of silk and muslin were put upon her, and she was the fairest of all in the palace. But she was dumb and could neither speak nor sing. Beautiful slave girls clad in silks and gold came forward and sang to the prince and his royal parents. 
One sang more sweetly than all the rest, and the prince applauded her and smiled on her. Then the little mermaid was sad, for she knew that she herself had sung far more sweetly, and she thought, Oh, if he could but know that to be near him I have given my voice away forever. Then the slave girls danced graceful floating dances to the noblest of music, and now the little mermaid raised her pretty white arms and rose on tiptoe and floated over the floor and danced as none had ever yet danced. At every movement her beauty grew yet more on the sight, and her eyes spoke more deeply to the heart than the song of the slave girls. Everyone was enraptured by it, and more than all, the prince who called her his little foundling. And she danced again and again, though every time her foot touched the ground, it was as though she was treading on sharp knives. The prince said that now she should always be near him, and she was allowed to sleep outside his door on a cushion of silk. He had a boy's dress made for her so that she might ride with him on horseback. They rode through the sweet-smelling woods where the green boughs brushed her shoulders and the little birds sang in the cover of the young leaves. With the prince, she clambered up the high mountains and though her delicate feet were cut so that everyone could see, she only laughed and followed him till they could see the clouds beneath them like a flock of birds flying towards the distant lands. At home, at the prince's palace, when at night all the others were asleep, she would go out to the broad marble stairs, and it cooled her burning feet to stand in the cold sea water, and then she thought about those who were down in the depths below. One night, her sisters came up arm in arm, singing mournfully as they swam on the water, and she beckoned to them, and they recognized her, and told her how sad she had made them all. And after that, they visited her every night, and one night, she saw far out in the sea, the old grandmother, who had not been to the top of the water for many a year and a sea king with his crown on his head. They stretched their arms toward her. They dared not trust themselves so near the land as the sisters. Day by day, she grew dearer to the prince. He loved her as one might love a dear good child, but he never had a thought of making her his queen. And his wife she must be, or else she could never win an immortal soul. But on his wedding morning, she would turn into foam on the sea. Are you not fonder of me than all the rest? The little mermaid's eyes seemed to say when he took her in his arms and kissed her faint brow. Yes, you are dearest of all to me, said the prince, for you have the best heart of them all. You are dearest to me, and you are like a young maiden whom I saw once, and certainly shall never meet again. I was on a ship that was wrecked, and the waves drove me to a land near a holy temple, where a number of young maidens ministered. The youngest of them found me on the bank and saved my life. 
I saw her only twice. She was the only one I could love in all the world. But you are like her. You almost stamp her likeness on my soul. She belongs to that holy temple, and therefore my good fortune has sent you to me, and we will never part. <sighs> he does not know that I saved his life, thought the little mermaid. I bore him over the sea, away to the grove where the temple stands. I sat behind him in the foam and watched to see if anyone would come and saw the pretty maiden whom he loves more than me. And the mermaid heaved a deep sigh. Weep, she could not. The maiden belongs to the holy temple, he said. She will never come out into the world. They will never meet again. I am with him. I see him every day. I will tend him and love him and give up my life to him. But now the prince was to be married, people said, and to take the beautiful daughter of the neighboring king. And it was for that he was fitting out such a splendid ship. They say, of course, that the prince is going to travel to see the country of the king next door. But it really is to see his daughter. He's to have a great suite with him. But the little mermaid shook her head and laughed. She knew the prince's mind better than anyone else. I must travel, he had said to her. I must see the pretty princess. My father and mother require that, but they will not force me to bring her home as my bride. I cannot love her. She is not like the fair maid of the temple as you are. If ever I chose a bride, it would be you first my dumb foundling with the speaking eyes. And he kissed her red lips and played with her long hair and laid his head on her heart so that it dreamed of man's destiny and an undying soul. You are not afraid of the sea, are you, my dumb child? Said he as they stood on the splendid ship that was to bear them to the country of the neighboring king. And he told her of storms and calm, of strange fishes in the deep, and what divers had seen down there. And she smiled at his description, for, of course, she knew more than anybody else about the bottom of the sea. In the moonlit night, when all but the steersmen were asleep, she sat on the gunwale of the ship and gazed down the clear water and fancied she saw her father's palace. On the summit of it stood the old grandmother with a crown of silver on her head, gazing up through the swift current at the ship's keel. Then her sisters came up upon the water and looked mournfully at her and wrung their white hands. She beckoned to them and smiled and wanted to tell them that all was going well and happily with her. But then the ship's boy came towards her, and the sisters dived down, so he thought the white arms he had seen were foam on the sea. Next morning, the ship sailed into the harbor of the neighboring king's fine city. All the church bells rang out, and from the tall towers there came blaring of trumpets, 
while the soldiers paraded with waving flags and glittering bayonets. Every day there was a feat. Balls and parties followed on one another, but as yet the princess was not there. She was being brought up far away in a sacred temple, they said, and there was learning all royal accomplishments. At last, she arrived. The little mermaid waited, eager to see her beauty, and she had to confess that a more graceful form she had never seen. The skin was so delicate and pure, and behind the long, dark eyelashes, a pair of dark blue, beautiful eyes smiled out. It is you, said the prince. You, who saved me when I lay like a corpse on the shore. And he claps his blushing bride in his arms. Oh, I am more than happy, he said to the little mermaid. My dearest wish, the thing I never dared hope for, has been granted me. You will rejoice in my happiness, for you are fonder of me than all the rest. And the little mermaid kissed his hand and thought she felt her heart breaking. His wedding morning would bring death to her and would change her into foam upon the sea. It is you, said the prince. You who saved me when I lay like a corpse on the shore. And he clasped his blushing bride in his arms. Oh, I am more than happy, he said to the little mermaid. My dearest wish, the thing I never dared hope for, has been granted me. You will rejoice in my happiness, for you are fonder of me than all the rest. And the little mermaid kissed his hand and thought she felt her heart breaking. His wedding morning would bring death to her and would change her into foam upon the sea. All the church bells were ringing. The heralds rode about and proclaimed the betrothal. On every altar, fragrant oil was burning in precious silver lamps. The priest swung their censers, and the bride and bridegroom joined hands and received the blessing of the bishop. The little mermaid, clad in silk and gold, stood holding the bride's train, but her ears heard not the festal music. Her eyes saw not the holy rite. She thought, on the eve of her death, of all that she had lost in the world. That very evening, the bride and the bridegroom embarked on the ship, and the cannons were fired, and the flags waved, and amidship was raised a royal tent of gold and purple with the loveliest of curtains. And there the married pair were to sleep in that calm, cool night. The sails bellied in the wind, and the ship glided easily with little motion away over the bright sea. When it grew dark, variegated lamps were lit, and the crew danced merry dances on the deck. The little mermaid could not but think of the first time she rose up out of the sea and saw that same splendor and merriment. And she too whirled about in the dance, swerving as a swallow swerves when it is chased. And everyone was in ecstasies of wonder at her. Never before has she danced so wonderfully. 
sharp knives seemed to be cutting her delicate feet, but she hardly felt it. The wounds in her heart were sharper. She knew that was the last night she would ever see him, for whom she had forsaken her race and her home, and given up her lovely voice, and daily had suffered unending pain unknown to him. This was the last night she would breathe the same air as he, or see the deep ocean and the starlit heavens, an eternal night without thought, without dream, awaited her who neither had a soul nor could win one. But all was joy and merriment aboard the ship till long past midnight. She laughed and danced with the thought of death in her heart. The prince kissed his beautiful bride and she played with his black hair. And arm in arm, they went to rest in the splendid tent. It was still and quiet now on the ship. Only the helmsman stood at the tiller. The little mermaid laid her white arms on the bulwark and gazed eastward for the red of dawn. The first ray of the sun she knew would kill her. Then she saw her sisters rise up out of the sea. They were as pale as she. Their beautiful long hair no longer fluttered in the breeze. It had been cut off. We have given it to the witch to make her help us, and that you may not die tonight. She has given us a knife. Here it is. Do you see how sharp it is? Before the sun rises, you must plunge it into the prince's heart. And when his warm blood gushes out upon your feet, they will grow together into a fishtail, and you will become a mermaid again, and will be able to come to find us in the water and live out your 300 years before you turn into the dead salt sea foam. Make haste. He or you must die before the sun rises. Our old grandmother has been mourning till her white hair has fallen off as ours fell before the witch's shears. Kill the prince and come back. Make haste. Do you not see the red band in the heavens? In a few minutes, the sun will climb into the sky, and then you must die. And with a strange, heavy sigh, they sank beneath the waves. The little mermaid drew aside the purple curtain of the tent and saw the beautiful bride sleeping with her head on the prince's breast. And she stopped and kissed him on his fair brow and looked at the sky where the red of the dawn was shining brighter and brighter, looked at the sharp knife, and fixed her eyes again on the prince, who in his sleep was murmuring the name of his bride. She alone was in his thoughts, and the knife quivered in the mermaid's hand. But then she cast it far out into the waves, and where it fell they shone red, and it seemed as if drops of blood spurted up out of the water. Once more, she gave with a half-dying glance at the prince, and then threw herself from the ship into the sea, and felt that her body was dissolving into foam. Now the sun ascended out of the sea, and his rays fell mild and warm upon the death-cold foam, and the little mermaid felt no touch of death. She saw the bright sun, 
and above floated hundreds of lovely transparent forms. Through them, she could see the white sails of the ship and the rosy clouds in the sky. Their voices were as music, but so ethereal that no human ear could hear it. Just as no earthly eye could see them, wingless, they floated by their own lightness through the air. The little mermaid saw that she too had a body like theirs, which was rising further and further up out of the foam. To whom am I coming? She said, and her voice rang like that of the other beings, so etherially that earthly music can re-echo its sound. To the daughters of the air, the others answered. The mermaid has no immortal soul and can never gain one unless she wins the love of a mortal. It is on a power outside her that her eternal being depends. The daughters of the air have no everlasting soul either, but they can, by good deeds, shape one for themselves. We are flying to the hot countries where the stagnant air of pestilence kills men. There we waft coolness. We spread the perfume of the flowers through the air and send men new life and healing. When for 300 years we have striven to do the good that we can, we receive an immortal soul and have a share in the everlasting happiness of mankind. You, poor little mermaid, have striven for that too with all your heart. You have suffered and endured and raised yourself into the world of the spirits of the air. And you also, by good deeds, can shape for yourself an immortal soul in the space of 300 years. And the little mermaid raised her bright arms towards God's son. And for the first time, she felt the gift of tears. On the ship, there was stir and life again. She saw the prince with his fair bride seeking for her. In deep sorrow, they gazed down into the bubbling foam as if they knew she had cast herself into the waves. Unseen, she kissed the bride's forehead, and on him she smiled and then soared upward with the other children of the air to a rose-red cloud sailing in the heavens. So, when 300 years are over, we shall float into the heavenly kingdom and we may reach it yet sooner, whispered one of them. Unseen, we float into the homes of men where children are. And for every day on which we find a good child that makes its parents happy and earns their love, God shortens our time of trial. The child does not know it when we are flying through the room. And when we smile on it in happiness, a year is taken from the 300. But if we see a perverse and evil child, we have to weep in sorrow, and every tear we shed adds a day to our time of trial.
likes dark stories? People who have experienced a touch of the dark side. People who are a little wiser to the world. People who like their bones chilled and their spines tingled. People like you and me. It's hard to find a story these days that write on the dark side with a touch of whimsy, humor, and heart. Mav Sky spreads her dark wings and solves this problem for you. Head on over to Amazon and type Mav Sky's name into the search engine. M-A-V-S-K-Y-E. At Amazon, you'll find her Tales to Chill Your Bones series, Girl Clown Hatchet series, Supergirl series, her cult classic novel, Wanted Single Rails, and, of course, her brand new release, Cold Hangs the Midnight. Choose your dark flavor and head on over to Amazon today.